Thank you so much, brother. And again, thank you for being with us. You forgot your bulletin. <laughs> See, he got him a he got one of the children's bulletins this morning on his way in. Psalm 136 is the uh, first of the Thanksgiving Psalms that we'll look at throughout this month. I want to ask you a question. Have y'all ever been somewhere before? Maybe somebody has you over for a meal. They host some event that you go to. You go to it, and you really enjoy it. And when you get home, you think, oh, man, I should have told them how much I enjoyed it. I really wish I would have thought while I was there to tell them how much I enjoyed that because that really, really was a good time. I've done that before. Um, wouldn't it been nice if somebody while you're there would have said, hey, you know what, are you having a good time? Yeah, I'm really enjoying it. I said, why don't you tell them thank you? Tell them how good of a time you're having. Well, that's kind of what we're doing this month for your life is I want you to get to the end of your life and say, man, I should have spent more time thanking God for all of the things that he gave me during my life. Well, thankfully, we have some songs, some psalms, that are written specifically to do that. They are exhorting God's people, encouraging God's people to remember why you should be thankful to Him. And they're calling you to do that, to thank Him. And so that's what we're going to be looking at. That's our mindset as we see this uh, poetic text this morning is the psalmist was so thankful to God for all these things that he wrote a song about it and then he shared it with the people of God that they would also remember to thank God for these. So look with me in the first three verses as we kind of see the thesis statement, if you will, for this text. 136, Psalm 136, verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. Now, if you read through this entire psalm, you will notice that there is one specific thing that really was standing out to the psalmist as he was writing this psalm, and it is that the Lord's steadfast love endures forever. I counted that he says that 26 times in this psalm. In each of the lines of this psalm, he parallels. He writes a reason or a thought and then adds to it every time for his steadfast love endures forever. It's not hard for us to see what he's thinking about. Why he thinks that we should be thankful to God. We should be thankful because God has a steadfast, unmovable, unremovable love for us that will last forever and ever and ever. And if we had nothing else, that's reason enough to thank God forever. He, if He had given us no other blessings, if we were all completely poor and sitting here hungry this morning, but we knew that God had an unremovable, steadfast love for us that would never be taken away and never could be taken away by anyone, it would be reason enough for us to sit here and just thank Him and praise Him and worship Him. So in this text, as he, as he says this, it's not the only thing that he says, though. He says that his steadfast love endures forever. He says that the most of anything in this text, but it's not the only thing that he says. So I want us to look uh, really at verse 1. In verse 1, he kind of sets the stage for what he's going to say. The rest of it is kind of building upon what he gives us in verse 1. Really, the first three verses, and specifically verse 1. So look back at verse 1. Psalmist said, Give thanks to the Lord. 
For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And so I love that he starts out with a thought that he's going to repeat over and over and over through it. He's, he's reiterating this all the way. And I love that he doesn't just talk about God's love, but he, he says that the Lord is good. We just sang that he is a good, good father. And this idea of God being good is, is something that I think most of us can relate to, especially if you stop for a moment and think about somebody in your life, an authority figure in your life that you've had before that was not good to you. Some of you have had bosses that were not good to you. Some of you have had uh, coaches or teachers, Lord forbid, that it ever happens, but I know that it's true, and I know that happens. Some of you have had parents. Some of you have had grandparents that were not good to you. And you know what it's like to have somebody that has authority over you, somebody that you can't make them do anything. They have all of the authority, and they're just not good to you. They just don't love you. They just don't care for you. They're not kind to you. They're not gentle with you. You know how oppressing that can feel. You know how depressing that feels. You can know how terrible that can feel. And so for us to think that, that God's in that same position, right? We can't make God do anything. God doesn't owe us anything. But the fact that he, he is good to us, even though He doesn't have to be good to us, is something for us to be thankful for. That we serve a God that is truly a good God. And the word that he uses here, the psalmist uses for good, uh, is a really deep word. It means that he is, he is kind. It means that he is gentle. It means that he is pleasant. So when you start thinking about a parent or a teacher or a coach or a grandparent that you've had that was pleasant to be around, and that, that even though sometimes they had to correct you because you had done wrong, they were gentle in the way that they did that. And they were thoughtful and they thought about you and they cared for you and you could feel their kindness. These are the things that the psalmist is trying to remind us that our God is. That God is thoughtful toward us. That God is kind and gentle even in his correction of us. That God is pleasant to be around. That we should want to spend time with him. That we should want to be with him. And again, that he doesn't owe us any of these things. That he has chosen for this to be an attribute of his. That he is good. And then, of course, he gives the rest of the major thesis statement there for his steadfast love endures forever, which we will see many ways. The psalmist gives us many ways that we can see the love of God. But then he also, in verses 2 and 3, talks about him being the God of gods and the Lord of lords, which is, is part of what he's going to give us here. He's going to show that we should be thankful to God because God has proven that he is the one that's in control, that he isn't the one that's in charge of everything. But the main thoughts that the psalmist, psalmist gives us, that we'll see this morning over and over and over, is that God is kind and gentle and pleasant and good toward us. That he has uh, uh, this agape love toward us, this unshakable, unmerited, undeserved, but unconditional love for us that none of us are thankful enough for. Point one is simply that. I want, to, I want you to have this. It's in your bulletins if you want to see it there. But point one, God is worthy of thanks and praise for who He is. And when I say who He is, I mean 
he is good and he is loving and he is God. We, he is worthy of my thanks. He is worthy of your thanks. He is worthy of my worship and my praise. He's worthy of your worship and your praise because of who he is. Now, what I want us to do is, is look at, he gives us three major sections. We'll take them as sections uh, this morning. I'm not going to read all of the text this morning, but I do want us to get the gist. I want you to see what he's talking about. He gives us three different ways that we see God's goodness. He gives us three different ways that we see God's love. He's going to tell us that, that we see God's goodness and his love in creation. He's going to tell us that we can see God's goodness and his love in his salvation, especially whenever he saves the people of Israel from Egypt. And then he's going to tell us that we can see God's goodness and we can see God's love in the way that he acts toward us now. So we're going to look at each of these. We're going to see what they meant to the psalmist. We're going to see what they mean for us and then we'll be done this morning. Verses 4 through 9 is where he shows us that we should be thankful to God for his work. In creation, I'm just going to read the first line of each one. Uh, but know that he says, For his steadfast love endures forever after every one of these things that I read. It says, To him alone, to him who alone does great wonders. To him who by understanding made the heavens. To him who spread out the earth above the waters. To him who made the great lights, the sun to rule over the day the moon and the stars to rule overnight, for his steadfast love endures forever. Now again, he said his steadfast love endures forever after every one of those that I said. But I wanted you to see specifically, I wanted to read just the parts about creation so that you could see the impact that the psalmist is giving us here as he talks about creation. So the psalmist is telling us that we see God's authority, that we see God's goodness, that we see God's love in creation. And I think most of us can see that. We understand that. But I think most of us, when we think about creation, we don't think about it showing God's gentleness and kindness toward us. We don't think about it showing God's unconditional love toward us. We think about it being awe-inspiring, right? It shows us God's power. It shows us God's authority. And he really highlights that, especially in verse 5 when the psalmist said, to him, speaking of God, to him who by understanding made the heavens. There when he says by understanding, or in some of your translations, it says in discernment. What he's pointing out is, is how God in a very set way, in a very precise way, made the creation that we know. We spent time talking about that before, how, how he made the earth just the right distance from the sun, that we get plenty of heat, but that we don't get burnt up, right? And he made the moon just the right distance from the earth so that it will control the tides the way that they need to be controlled, but not in any overbearing way, right? So God precisely created everything that he created. We see in creation that he is, as verse 2 says, the God of gods. Verse 3 says, the Lord of lords. That's easy to see. But then the question is, how is it that we see God's goodness and God's love in creation? How is it that we see God's gentleness and kindness and pleasantress? Pleasantress? That's not a word. Preacher, you just made that up. Miss Jan, strike that from the record, please. Well, I would start out by pointing out how many things he has made in creation that are good for us. When, when I think about uh, one that I think we all enjoy a whole lot, the longer I go, the more y'all start to want to enjoy it. When I think about food, 
Right, just think about food for a moment. Don't think about it too long. You'll want me to finish. But how he made it so that we can, we have taste, right? He didn't have to give us taste buds. He didn't have to give us that sensation of taste so that we would enjoy taking in the nutrients that we need for our body. That has, why do we really eat? Biologically, we eat to have energy, but God made it so that that is something that's enjoyable for us, right? God could have made it so that we're all blind. He didn't have to make so that we have sight and vision. He didn't have to make the beautiful colors that we see during the fall, right? He didn't have to do all that. He made that part of creation. In his creation, we see his goodness and love and thoughtfulness toward those things that he created, Right? In many ways, we see how in creation, God isn't just powerful and God isn't just brilliant, but God is thoughtful. He thought about us. He made life in some way so that we would enjoy it. And then he told us that the life to come after this will be immensely more enjoyable than the most enjoyable things about this life, which makes us long for heaven. But I would also point you to Romans chapter 1. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read two verses that you've probably heard before. Romans 1, 19 and 20. Say, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse in what Paul tells us there is that another thing that God did in creation is that God revealed himself to all of the created beings. And I would say that that's very loving because if we don't know him, then we're bound for hell and we have no hope. So the fact that God made himself perceivable in creation, that the way that he created everything tells us that there is a God that we should be searching for and then the Bible tells us that that God is found in Christ Jesus shows that he is good to us and that he loves us. Point two, God is worthy of thanks and praise for his work in creation. The creation that he has screams that there is a God. It points us to him. I'm thankful that he points us to himself. I'm also thankful that he made things in such a thoughtful way that we can enjoy so much. The next section is uh, one that expands from verse 10 through verse 22. I'm going to give you a couple of verses out of here. But, but to tell you what the psalmist writes about in verses 10 through 22, as he's writing about, and this is something that was constantly on the mind of the people of Israel in the Old Testament, it was the idea that God had saved the people of Israel from Egypt. When they talked about salvation, this was often what they were talking about. This is often what appears to have been on the mind of the Old Testament saints, is that they were thinking about, when they said salvation, they thought about God bringing the people out of Egypt. They thought about the plagues. They thought about the Red Sea. He writes about those things here. And so the second thing that he's giving us, the second way that we can see God's goodness and that we can see God's love and that we can see God's power and authority is we can see it in his salvation. And when I say salvation, specifically the psalmist is writing about when they were saved from Egypt. So when they were saved from Egypt, you can clearly see God's goodness and his love and his kindness Toward the people of God. A couple of the verses that we see here, we know that God intervened here. We know that He uh, sent Moses in verse 13. He reminds them of God uh, dividing the Red Sea in two. In verse 14, Israel passing through it. In verse 15, bringing it back on Pharaoh. Verse 17, uh, He recalls whenever they 
after that went through the wilderness and then came to the promised land. And he lists many kings there that they defeated and that God gave them the promised land. And he's showing that God saved them from Egypt and not only saved them from Egypt, but saved them from Egypt and brought them to the promised land and then gave them, handed over to them the promised land. And specifically for the people of the Old Testament, that's a huge deal. Right? David, as he's writing this psalm, lives in the promised land. And I think, I think that he can think about several years ago, if God wouldn't have done what he'd done, I wouldn't be living in the promised land. I would be a slave in Egypt, and my family would be slaves in Egypt. So the fact that God had saved them from Egypt and brought them to where they were seems to have constantly been on their mind. And he says, especially as he's writing this, right, originally he didn't write this psalm, and hand it to people at Mount Zion. Originally, he wrote this psalm, and they would have sang it in the Old Testament times, in Hebrew, to the people of Israel. And he said, brothers and sisters, you need to be thankful because God is the one that's brought us where we are. We would have been there. We would have been slaves. Our life would have been all of the bad things that it was there if God hadn't have saved us and brought us to where we are now. All of this is because of God. That's what David is saying to them. God has saved us. And there's the last section, verses 23 through 25. I'll read for us. It says, It is He who remembered us in our lowest state, for His steadfast love endures forever, and rescued us from our foes, for His steadfast love endures forever. He who gives food to all flesh, for His steadfast love endures forever. And then He calls Him again to give thanks. Verse 26, Give thanks to the God of heaven, for His steadfast love endures forever. So he started out by talking about creation. That's something that happened even for them a long time ago. And he starts talking about the salvation from Egypt, and that's something that had happened a long time ago. And then here in verses 23 through 25, he's not talking about something that God did a long time ago. The psalmist turns his attention to what God has done for them now. He says, He has remembered us in our lowest state. When we were of no count, when we were sick, when we were in hard times, God remembered us and God came to us. He rescued us from our foes when we're about to be defeated. He has rescued us. He's the one that makes sure and provides. He gives food to all flesh. He provides for all of our needs. So the psalmist says, don't just think about creation. Think about that, but not just about that. Think about when he saved our ancestors from Egypt, but not just that. He's been good to us too. And I love the way that this is written because for us, these last two go together. For them, there are three points. Remember God's creation, remember God's salvation, remember that God has been good to us. For us, God's salvation and God's goodness to us are one point. The last point, point three. God is worthy of thanks and praise for His work of salvation. And I want us to remember that. I want us to always remember that. You had a bad week, had a bad month, had a bad year, string of a couple of bad years. Say, why in the world should I thank God for anything? Look where I am. Look what my life's like. Look what I've been through. Why should I thank Him for anything? I want you to remember that without Him, you would have no hope of salvation. If you need any reason above everything else, every worldly blessing you've ever wanted has fallen to the wayside. I want you to remember that we don't live for this world and the things of this world. We live for God and we live for the world that is to come that we can only experience because of God. His salvation, when we say salvation, we don't think about Egypt. 
We don't think about we were slaves to Egypt. We think about we were slaves to sin. Our salvation is not from a person. Our salvation is from the sin that we have indulged in our own selves. So when I say his salvation and his goodness toward us are one thing, that's because when he saved us, he was good toward us. Would you agree? I thought maybe we're going to say amen this morning. When God saved us, he was good to us. Amen. He was. Brother says, we didn't deserve that. You didn't earn it. I didn't earn it. There's no reason that he should have saved us. When we talk about being saved, we were slaves to sin. You, before Christ, could not overcome sin. You weren't smart enough. You weren't strong enough. I wasn't either. I kept sinning even when I didn't want to sin before Christ. You did too. That's who we were. Sin was stronger than us. It had a, a grasp on us. It entangled us. We couldn't get away from it. It made you do things that you didn't want to do that hurt yourself and that hurt your reputation. Sin made you do things that you didn't want to do that hurt your family and that hurt your friends. And you did it over and over even though you knew you shouldn't do it because you were slave to it. Just like the people of Israel when they were in Egypt, they had no hope. They couldn't get free on their own. But God intervened and God saved them. And if you were here this morning and you are not caught up in the same sins that you used to be, you used to be an alcoholic and you woke up and the only thing you could think about was the next time you were going to get a drink. You were addicted to some kind of pill or some sort of relationship that you were having that you weren't supposed to be having and you were sitting at work and you couldn't even focus on your task because the only thing you could think about was taking another pill or going to see that person that you shouldn't have been with. Or you had some other sin or some other habit that just ruined your life over and over and you couldn't get away from it. And you're sitting here this morning and you're not that same person. It's not because you're good. It's not because you're smart enough to kick the habit. It's not because you're strong enough to break the chain. It's because of Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters. If it wasn't for Jesus Christ, I wouldn't be standing here preaching. There's no telling where I'd be, possibly dead, if I'd never met Jesus Christ. Because the things that I did before I met Jesus Christ weren't good for me, and they weren't good for anyone else. It's all of our testimony. I'm only saved because of Jesus. I have nothing except for Jesus. His goodness toward me is his salvation that I have only because of faith in Jesus Christ. But when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, chains are broken. Sin's no longer stronger than me. Death has no claim over me. I don't have to worry about hell. I can think about the joy of heaven. Everything changes when when I meet Jesus. When I met Jesus. So this morning, Brothers and sisters, the psalmist says, if you're here and you're not where you used to be, you've got a reason to praise God. If you are here and you are enjoying the beautiful creation that God has made, walked out this morning and it was a little cool and the sun was shining and it was beautiful and you looked at the leaves on the trees, you've got a reason to thank the Lord. You're not caught in the sin that you used to be caught in. You're not dealing with the habits that you used to deal with. You're not doing the things that you know that you shouldn't be doing anymore. You've got a reason to thank the Lord. You know that when you die that you're going to heaven. 
Because on God's book, you are completely righteous and without sin, but you know it's not because you've lived a sinless life. You've got a reason to praise the Lord. You've got a reason to thank the Lord. And so I pray that we do that. It's what what I'm really working toward here. That's what the psalmist is really exhorting. I just want to do, I just want to tell you what the Bible says. And the Bible says you should be thanking God. You should be praising God. And I pray that you are. I pray that your heart's filled with joy this morning as you think about who He is. That you think about how beautiful God is. That you've seen it in history and that you've seen it in your own life now. And if you're here this morning and you happen to drag yourself in here this morning and you tried to perk up and, and make sure that everybody around you thinks that everything is fixed and in its place, but you know that you don't have a relationship with Jesus. And you're still a slave to sin. And last night you were doing the things that you didn't want to do, but you're just not strong enough to overcome. I want you to know that, brothers and sisters, Jesus has already died. His blood has already been shed. Forgiveness has already been purchased. If you would come this morning, that He would accept you. If you would proclaim that He is your Lord, that you have faith in Him, that He would accept you, that He would break those chains, that He would get you from where you are to where He would have you to be. If you have questions about that, I'd love to answer those questions. I would love to celebrate with you. If you've made that decision, we would all love to celebrate with you. This morning, I want to ask you to stand. We'll have a time of response to this text. There are a lot of ways that you may need to respond. Maybe you need to come and pray. Come and pray. Maybe you want somebody to pray with you. I'd love to pray with you. Maybe you've got a question to ask. Whatever it is that the Lord's calling you to do, I'm going to ask that you would do that now. That As we have a time of response, that you would do whatever the Lord's leading you.